I think for me, um, wisdom is always knowing that God is seeing what I'm doing. Uh, I've got the saying that He weighs the why. Uh, he doesn't only see what I do, but why I do it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast. My name is Casey Tigert. I am your host. I'm an author and pastor, spiritual director. I do some other stuff. I'm a dad. Um, I enjoy golfing, long walks on the beach. Um, that's more than you wanted to know. But anyway, uh, this podcast is all about gathering wise conversations on how to live well along the journey with Jesus. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, if you subscribe, I'm glad you subscribe. Thanks for being a part of this community. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, thanks for being curious. I hope you find a, a home here and these conversations offer you some hospitality. Uh, we're moving into August, and August is the month of uh, Illinois gets really hot and humid. And it's fantastic because what we do is we store that up in like our solar batteries. And then when February comes and we all think that the world is going to end, we can sort of reach deep into those resources and pull it out and say, oh, but remember how warm it was in August. That never happens. We'll still complain. It's the way it goes. Anyway, uh, the reason I bring up August is because this month we have some guests who come from very different parts of the uh, Christian tradition. And what, the reason I say that is because... It's easy to start believing that all Christians are the same. All followers of Jesus believe the exact same things. But I think what you'll find in this uh, month's episodes is that that's A, not true. Uh, and B, it's very helpful for us who are wanting to become wiser in this journey with Jesus to listen to people from various different perspectives. And so this month, the guests are all going to be coming from some different places and maybe some places that you disagree with, maybe some places you agree with. Uh, my hope is that this will be a guide for how to have some conversations and how to listen to perspectives that maybe are not close to your own. Uh, we start today, our episode today is an interview with a guy named Jarrett Stevens. And Jarrett is the, Jarrett, I should say, Jarrett Stevens, is the teaching pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. Uh, he's not only a teaching pastor there, he's also an author of a book called The Mountains Are Calling that deals with, um, it deals with all the mountains in the Bible and the lessons we can learn from those. So we're going to talk about that in our conversation today. We're also going to talk about, uh, he did a video for a website called I Am Second about an experience that he had that I'm not going to talk about now because I want to talk about it. Uh, I want you to hear it in the conversation. But what I would say is this, just a little bit of a heads up, it does deal with some difficult subject matter about uh, abuse um, so if that's something that you struggle with or that triggers something in you, uh, just know that that's coming as part of this conversation. And you can, uh, when you hear that coming, you can skip over that. Uh, but let me get past all the introduction stuff. I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation today with pastor and author, Jared Stevens. Jarrett, man, taking time out of vacation to talk with us on the Otherwise Podcast. Thanks for doing that. Hey, you bet. You know, uh, when you've got my side of the family here and there's like 12 kids in a little house together, I'll take a break anytime you want me to. So if we need to do this again <laughs> later this afternoon, just call. 
So, so everybody's got their, uh, I think every human being has like a vacation repertoire that they do that they say, okay, this is what it, this counts for me. So for you, like what's a good vacation day look like? A good vacation day for me is getting up early. I did it this morning, get up early and, uh, get a cup of coffee. There's nothing better. I mean this, I mean, I look forward to the early mornings with a coffee, my time alone with the Lord, open Bible journal. I'm big into that. And, uh, then I want to go run and, uh, I probably you know, try to run four or five days a week and get in a good run. And then I'm back to the, uh, the house around, I don't know, eight thirty, nine o'clock and the day starts. And so, uh, whether that's with uh, breakfast and just hanging out with the family. And then, you know, in this case, we're here at the beach, so we're going to hit the beach. Uh, they're probably already there right now. And uh, so I'll be joining them up as soon as we're done here and uh, just relaxing, man. I don't do anything on vacation. I'm not one of those guys who wants to, to go shopping or, uh, you know, go into the town and look at everything. I want to chill. I want to do nothing, only do what I want to do, a good book, uh, and, you know, to read, to nap. Oh, my gosh, I want to nap. I want to sleep and I want to eat. And so that's a good, that's a good vacation day for me. If I can do yeah. that, man, that's victory. You find, I think everybody uh, gets to the point where they find you, you it's cause I know there are going to be people who listen to this and go, man, that doesn't sound like vacation to me at all, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's understanding your yeah. own. Yeah, this is the kind of thing folks, that, right? yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to get up early. I, I'm going to sleep until absolutely necessary that I get up. So so you well, ended see, up. I want to get up because I know I, I want to get up because I know I'm napping. I'm going to take yeah. at least two or three naps <laughs> today. So I'm up. You know, I, I want to be able to sleep this afternoon. You're prepared. You find yourself preparing ahead of time. I'm I'm just That's preloading right. for these naps, man. They're coming. They're That's coming. right. That's right. <laughs> Yep. So you are on vacation from a role uh, that you uh, have been doing for quite some time now as teaching pastor at, at Prestonwood Baptist. Um, how long have you been in that role now? Well, I've been in the teaching pastor role for right at nine or 10 years. Uh, I came on as an intern uh, back in 2000. So I graduated from my undergrad from small Baptist school in Arkansas, came over uh, to Dallas as an intern. And uh, they, I was, I was 22 and single, and they put me with uh, an intern to young marrieds. And I thought, all right, what, what am I doing here? You know, I'm not married. Uh, I have no idea. And uh, God was just so good to put people around me, and the church trained me and loved me. And uh, I started teaching a young singles Bible study class. And about six months into my internship, uh, the young singles pastor come, came to me and said, hey, we've got a, an opening. Would you come and be the associate here? And uh, anything sounded better than intern. So, yeah, I'll be the associate. And uh, so I came into that role. And then six months after that, the singles pastor left. And it left that uh, 18 to 32 age range open in our church. So I'm looking around thinking, who are the, who's going to be my new boss? And uh, they came to me and they said, Jared, we, we, we want you to, to run with it. So I was a young singles and college pastor uh, for about nine years. Uh, and then moved into this teaching pastor role and been doing that the last nine. So yeah. uh, 18 years total. It's interesting because the, the whole point of the podcast is about wisdom. And what I find is that a lot of wisdom is just about reps. It's about, so even down to like a vacation day, it takes mm-hmm. you some time to figure out what are the components that fit together mm-hmm. that give life back to my soul, back to my body. Uh, serving in a role, a teaching pastor role, it takes, you know, nine or 10 years 
you're finding this rhythm to it. So, so as we talk about that, I always try to introduce the conversation by saying, if you had to define for yourself or for your ministry, if you had to define wisdom or begin to define wisdom, mm-hmm. where, where would you start with that kind of, that kind of definition? You know, this is, is fresh on my mind uh, just because uh, we just preached a sermon uh, on it. And, um, and, you know, obviously the Proverbs say the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, uh, for me, um, I talked about the fact you read this in the Proverbs over and over and over that, uh, and, and you see it in the Psalms as well. And I can't tell you how many markings are in my scripture that says God sees, uh, God hears, God knows. So you look at the scriptures that he sits enthroned on the heavens and observe. He's looking at the children of mankind. And so I think for me, um, wisdom is always knowing that God is seeing what I'm doing. Uh, I've got the saying that he weighs the why. Uh, he doesn't only see what I do, but why I do it. And, and so this whole idea of God seeing, God knowing, God hearing everything, uh, that, 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 uh, fuels in me a fear of God, uh, which ultimately leads to wisdom, I hope, in the decisions and the choices I make and the relationships that I choose to be a part in. And so that's how I would define it, is just a realization and awareness that God God knows everything, sees everything, hears everything, and uh, He is ever-present right there. And yeah. so that, that's how I would probably describe it in my own life, the way I think about it. It's uh, The reason I often ask that about individual people is because I, you know, the Proverbs about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But as I've said, I've said this on the podcast before, a lot of times that depends on which, which Lord you fear, mm-hmm. like which picture of God, uh, that you fear. And I find that a lot of people, the wisdom arises out of their own specific, unique circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you and I, have, you know, wisdom that has come just because we've had different experiences. Um, so how, how do you bring that together? How does, how do you bring that together in light of your own story? How, how do you envision God in a way that when you, the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord, but it's also a picture of God that you've picked up through, you know, growing up and ministry and relationships and, Sure. It's a good question. You know, I grew up in the church. That's my testimony. And I was one of those kids that never minded going to church. My dad was my RA leader. And, uh, you know, back in the day, that was the Southern Baptist, kind of the Awanas of the day for those listening that may not be familiar with the Royal Ambassador Program. But um, uh, so, you know, just life lessons uh, through church. I mean, I, I talk about this, uh, you know, in, in the book uh, that we'll, we'll talk about later. But uh, just, uh, man, I, I went to every camp. I've been going to church camp for like 30 years in a row, man. I mean, I don't miss church camp and vacation Bible school. So that was formative in my life. And uh, I think having a, a, a strong father in my life uh, gave me a love, not a love, but a, a certain honor for authority. So so who I am and what's made me is, you know, I, when it, when I talk about wisdom and and relationships and maybe in life, it's, uh, from a personal standpoint, I've just, I've never, uh, I don't know. I think there's this, this idea of being under authority, uh, just because I've always had a strong dad in my life. Uh, the pastor that I serve under now, Dr. Jack Graham, 
a very strong uh, authoritative uh, figure. And, and so I've always had kind of a covering in my life. And I, for me, I've never, I've never uh, regretted that or tried to kick against that. I've always embraced it and uh, it's worked out for me. So I think that's kind of when you talk about informing your view of God, uh, I kind of see the Lord as, you know, a covering my authority, uh, what he says, you know, that that's what I'm going with. And so I, I, I hope that answers your question. I, I, that's that's kind of how I, I view it. So that brings up a, a whole host of things. Um, and you talk about the the book has been uh, the book uh, that's called The Mountains Are Calling. And you dive into talking about the mountains that you find in Scripture and how you know, camp, you brought up camp. I did camp yeah. when I was a kid too. And that people always talk about the mountaintop experiences. Sure. You know, you go to camp and you're on this high and you're like, I'm going to go home and change my high school for Jesus. And <laughs> about, about two days pass and you, you feel either discouraged or like you lose the, you lose the buzz a little bit. Yeah, and, and back things... in the day, and back in the day, you burned all your, all your good music, right? <laughs> so now you don't even have your good music to listen to anymore. You're looking around at the charred ashes of your CDs yeah. gone. Uh, back, yeah, and I, really. you know, I'm even dating it now. Like CDs, my God. Yeah, no, right, all right, right, right. I don't know what you. I don't know what you do now with digital music. How do you make a statement of faith? I don't know. I guess you delete your you delete your iTunes account. I don't know. But it's it is interesting um, because the mountaintop experiences also indicate valleys. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a mountain, there must be a valley. Yeah. Uh, and it's the constant tension throughout the Bible of for every exodus, there's a wilderness, for every yeah. mountaintop, there's a valley. And so the book is not only informed by the mountaintop experiences, but also by the valley experiences. That's right. And, uh, you shared a, a while back a pretty profound video on a website called I Am Second about an experience that you had. And I wondered if you would talk about that valley as a way of framing uh, especially discussion about wisdom, because you can't come out of a situation like you experienced without gaining some wisdom about life in the world, and especially about culture. So sure. could you talk through Absolutely. that a little bit? Absolutely. And this is something that in writing the book, I wasn't really expecting uh, to even get into. Um, but, you know, when we talk about these mountaintop moments and every Christian has them. And, uh, and I, I talk about it in the book, you know, where the presence of God seems palatable, you know, your sense of proximity to him is you feel closer to him than you've ever been before. Your, your intimacy is there. And, you know, just in reading the scriptures, Psalm 34 verses 17, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are contrite in spirit. And so, uh, if you turn to some, you ask, I guarantee you, nine out of ten Christians ask, when are you closest to the Lord? When they look at that, I, I would be willing to, to suggest that nine out of ten are not going to say it was a mountaintop moment. Nine out of ten is going to say it's in a valley. They were, they were at a low point in life, and, and God came in, and they sensed a, a nearness to him unlike ever before. And so, when I talk about these mountaintop moments, yes, we have them as Christians, but, you know, uh, if you look at your life, when you go through these valley moments, if you will, uh, if you look back at them, if we're talking about the nearness of God being a mountaintop moment, sometimes even the valleys can be mountaintop moments as you look back at them. They're, they're dry at the time and they're wilderness at the time, no doubt about it. But the nearness of God, he's near to the brokenhearted. Save those who are contrite spirit. Mountaintop moments, man, as you look back at them, uh, golly, they can be some of the lowest times in your life. 
this is exhibited in the life of Jesus. Uh, again, one of the chapters I was not intending to write, uh, but one of the mountain scenes we have in the Bible is the Garden of Gethsemane, where mm-hmm. Jesus is at his low point in life, uh, says, not my will, but yours be done. And he's about to be uh, abandoned. Uh, by the disciples whom he loves, everyone that's close to him, he's about to be arrested and then ultimately taken to his death. Well, that wasn't a mountaintop moment for Jesus uh, necessarily, but I just find it uh, so interesting that the Bible places the Garden of Gethsemane where he was crushed like an olive press. Uh, I I find it so interesting that the Garden of Gethsemane is on a mountain and on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, that being said, you know, my my, uh, kind of breaking moment or valley moment, I write about this in the book, uh, in, uh, I believe it's chapter three, the Mount Carmel experience. When I'm talking about Elijah, I talk about a time of brokenness in my own life. Uh, and you refer to it in the I am second video where as a child, uh, ages eight to 12, uh, I was sexually abused by my little league baseball coach and never told a soul, uh, just, um, it didn't, uh, maybe it was the shame or the embarrassment or would anybody believe me or what would happen if I did tell just that fear, and uh, carried that secret with me uh, until I was uh, 19 years of age. And so as a college student, uh, I was back home and uh, was interning at my home church in the student ministry. And Casey, I remember it like it was yesterday, man. I, was, I wasn't even, I can say this, uh, from the ages of 8 to 12 being abused and from 12 to 19, I don't think a day went by where I didn't think about what that coach had done to me. Not one day. I don't think a day went by. And... Um, And so I remember very vividly driving into work that day as a 19-year-old college student, interning that summer, and uh, on a two-lane road in my hometown. And as I was driving down the road, there was a truck coming the other way. And I I noticed it as my coach's truck. I just, you know, I knew it. It You know, I grew up in a relatively small town in North Louisiana. And so as the, the car's coming, I see my coach in the car, and he's got two kids in the car. And I knew right then what was going on. And uh, it was just the spirit of God, just his conviction, just said, Jared, you know, what if you came back and pastored your home church or, um, you know, this continues to happen, you know what's going on and you didn't say anything. And uh, this, it just the spirit of God was just on my heart. I've got to say something. I've got to say something. And so through that process, um, uh, and we can talk about that if you'd like, I, I ended up uh, my deal with the Lord was, okay, I'm going to tell, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to tell somebody. And I ended up telling my, one of my student pastors who was very involved in my life. And I knew this was bigger than me. And so, uh, I said, I I didn't know what I was doing 19 years old. Are you kidding me? And so I said, God, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, we talked about the authority being my life. I'm going to go to my student pastor and I'm going to confess this secret that I've been carrying around for all these years. And after that, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do. So whatever the next person tells me, I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to assume that's from you because this is so much bigger than me. I don't know what the next steps are. And uh, so that's what happened. And I write about it in chapter three, Casey, just because of the Mount Carmel experience. You know, uh, Elijah, uh, before he called down fire on Mount Carmel, the Bible says that he had to go to a place called Cherith, which in the Hebrew means to be cut down. And so he went to Cherith to be cut down. And then... Before he goes to the mountain, uh, God doesn't uh, take him away from Cherith and take him to the mountaintop. He takes him to a place called Zarephath, which means to smelt or to melt. And then after being cut down and smelted and melted, 
then he gets to call fire down on the mountain. And so that's what I write about in chapter three is that oftentimes, man, you're going to go through life and there's going to be valleys and you're going to be cut down and you're going to be smelted and melted. And uh, that's when, you know, you don't give up on God. You keep your eyes on him. You keep your trust in him because I'm telling you, uh, fire's going to fall, but God's got to get you to a place where it's ready. And so that's kind of how I talk about that. Yeah. It it introduces a bit of tension. And I I think wisdom often comes in tensions because you talk about um, authority and covering. uh, But at the same point, the little league coach had a position of authority. Mm -hmm. And so how do you reconcile? And I, I think of this for you, but I also think of this for people who might be listening to this who have never talked about something that's happened to them. Sure. We'll come back to that in a, in a minute. But you know, when you write about it in a book, we talked about this before we came on here, like there's a vulnerability to writing. But there's a vulnerability that I hear as you talk about authority and saying, whatever the next thing is, I'm just going to do it. How did you reconcile those two things? And you know, underneath that, how did you find the trust to be able to to do that? Well, I don't know that I did reconcile it until I was 19, right? I mean, as an 11, 12 year old boy being abused, um, man, I was, I was just confused and, and didn't know what to do. And so, you know, what will I do? I'll just keep silent and act like it never happened. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't know that I reconciled, uh, him being an, an authority in my life. I was probably a little scared of him. And then what do you do? You go to the, you know, in my 12 year old mind, Casey, here's what I was thinking. If I go to my dad and tell him what happened, man, my dad's going to kill him. I mean, he just, there's no, and and then, then my dad's going to get arrested and go to jail. And then I lose my dad. That was, that was, that was what was going on in my head as an 11 and 12 year old. Now fast forward to 19 where I've, I've dealt with it. You know, I've been thinking about it, as I said, every single day. And so uh, I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. Um, I'm maturing in my walk with him. And so at 19, I think the voice of God, you know, just got bigger than the voice of man um, and, and the fear of man. And I, I had to do what the Lord was telling me to do. And so I think that's how I reconciled it is, uh, you know, the voice of, I think that's the most simple way to put it is the voice of God became a lot stronger to me uh, than, than the voice of man. And it was, it was to a point where, man, I, I just, I, I knew I had to say something or I was being disobedient to God. And, uh, I just, man, I wanted to, you know, uh, there was just something in me that I just wanted to, I wanted to honor the Lord in that. And I can tell you this, man, uh, that night, uh, so I told my student pastor and he said, Jared, you're, he was so, he talked about wisdom. He was so wise in this. He said, Jared, you're 19 years old. You, you're a grown man. You're an adult. You don't have to do anything else, but I encourage you to tell your parents. And I was like, dang it. That was the one thing I didn't want to do because man, I have a great mom and dad who loved me and uh, provided for me. And I knew it was going to break their heart. I just did not want to tell my mom and dad, but again, I'd made a deal. I kind of fleeced the Lord on this Casey. And it's really, you know, I don't encourage that, but that's what I did as a 19 year old. Uh, you know, I said, if you want me to do this, this, you know, I kind of put him back to him in a corner and, uh, he kind of came through on everything I asked him to do. And so then the ball started rolling. So I told my parents that Wednesday night, and I can tell you this, I, I, I went to church after I talked to my student pastor. It was a Wednesday night and I went to the small little prayer room we had and I just laid flat on the floor, man. And I remember like it was yesterday and I did, I couldn't pray. I mean, I couldn't say a word. I was like, I just told the deepest, darkest secret of my life. I'm gonna tell my parents tonight 
I mean, just imagine a 19 year old kid and, and man, that scripture in Romans eight, where the spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. I'm telling you that came true in my life in that moment. So I told my parents, you know, uh, at church that night, I said, Hey, I need y'all to come home. They usually went out to eat with a couple after church. And I said, I need y'all to come home. I got, you know, I need to talk to y'all. And I'm sure they're thinking what, what on earth has Jared done? You know? Uh, but, uh, my student pastor was there with me. He said, you know, you tell them, but I'll be there with you. And so I told him that night and I just say that to say to those listening that may have a, you know, a similar situation or carrying around secrets. And you know what it's like to carry around secrets that that burdens there every single day. When I told my parents, uh, it was a, it, it was horrible. And again, I write about it in the book, but, um, I have never in my life slept as good as I slept that night. Now, I don't think my parents slept for the next two or three weeks, you know, because they're dealing with it. But me, when I told that deep, dark secret, the freedom that came with that, Casey, I can't even tell you. Uh, I can't even explain it to you. But, man, I slept uh, so light that night, so free that night. And from 8 to 9, you know, 8 to 12, being abused, 12 to 19, going through it and not going a day without thinking about it, I'm telling you, since, since confessing it, there are probably weeks that go by that I don't think about it. I mean, I just, it, there's a freedom that comes with sharing it. Part of the I Am Second video uh, was being able to, to do just that. I just found freedom in talking about it. And, uh, and I've never shared it in a public platform, Casey. I've never shared my testimony in a public platform where someone has not come up afterwards and said, you know what, that happened to me as a kid. And uh, I've never told anybody, never shared it in a public platform where that hasn't happened. And so uh, I just, man, you know, if God can use that and uh, use my valley, which looking back was really a mountaintop because I sensed his nearness and gave me freedom and all these different things. If he can use that to encourage others and strengthen others and comfort others, give hope to others, then I I was asked a couple of, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, would you change it? Uh, Would you change the fact that you were abused? Uh, by somebody, if you could go back and change it. And, and I thought about it. I thought, you know what? I wouldn't because of, of the, the people that have been able to encourage and help and share and comfort. Um, I hate that it happened to me and, uh, you know, and, and, and regret the pain that's caused my family. But I wouldn't change it just because uh, it's, a, it's enabled me to comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. And so I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to God for it in my life. Yeah. That's challenging, though. I mean, because I could put myself in the, in the seat of somebody who's hearing this and going, no, I would change it. Yeah. And I, sure. I do feel, I do feel closer to God, but I would find another way to feel closer to God. Yeah. So the yeah. interesting thing, and, so I, what and ha- I don't, and I don't, and I don't, I don't, uh, argue against that. I, I would say, absolutely. I welcome that. And I will say this, you know, uh, being sexually abused, uh, the, there are different, um, I don't know what the best word to say is maybe levels of sexual abuse, if you will. And so there are some that have been abused way worse, maybe if there is such a thing than I was Mm. abused. And so I can understand that and and would totally say, absolutely. If you could change it, absolutely change it. So I I get that. Well, and it's also the experience of being a male who's been sexually abused versus being a female. Sure. We're, We're having a, so there's a delicate cultural conversation now that you've gone through all of this and um, the book, you know, you're giving some help to people and you're giving the story to people. Um, but you also serve uh, as a prominent, as a pastor of a very prominent church and in a cultural moment where we're seeing a lot of sexually oriented struggles mm-hmm. within the church and everything from 
failures by pastors, which is not new necessarily, sure. but also, you know, different systems, different traditions, different denominations, um, either listening or not listening, either acting or not acting on reports and claims and things that have happened. And it sort of puts you in a position, it puts all of us in a position of having this conversation. And so, you know, hashtags like church Too and me too, uh, coming out now. So you carry this story now into the role that you're in, mm-hmm. into the church that you're in, into the tradition, the bigger Southern Baptist tradition that you're part of. How, how do you execute that wisdom in the middle of this cultural moment that we're in, knowing that, like you said, there are people who've had different experiences, either because of their gender or because of... How do you carry that wisdom into uh, the way that you deal with it within your own church or within your own tradition or movement in general? It's it's great. Well, um, you know, our church leadership uh, under our pastor has been very uh, aggressive in making sure, number one, that our, our church has a safe environment for children. So like for me, I do a lot of advocacy work with the, uh, the advocacy centers in Collin and Denton County. Um, and, and uh, that's important to me. It, it's a, it's this, you know, child abuse, certainly. Uh, I think the last statistics I read is like, uh, and I could be right, something like one out of three uh, girls sexually abused, one out of six boys, something like that. I mean, it's just crazy. That the, mm. and, and it's just, I'm telling you, Casey, it breaks my heart because it's so, uh, the world is so broken. You know, it's so broken in, in, in regards to this, especially uh, this, this, this sex craze that we see going on. And, and I'm glad for the Me Too and Church Too movement. I think anybody that has abused children uh, or taken advantage of, of, of women should be found out in that regard. I mean, let's, you know, Jesus said, whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And so, you know, you see a lot of people that are reaping. Uh, some pretty bad decisions of what they've sown, and but but for for us specifically in our our church staff and church culture, uh, uh, we have partnered with the Collin County Advocacy Center and uh, what we call Partners in Protection. And so what we've wanted to do as a church is say, you know, we can't stop we can't stop abuse. We, I mean, there, you know, it's 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 happening, and we live in a fallen world. It's going to happen. But the wisdom that I can take from my situation in life is, number one, let's not stick our head in the sands and act like it's not going to happen. And so and two, let's talk about it. And, you know, advocacy centers, uh, number one, they're great uh, for us. What we see in our church is they're great. They're great neighbors. Now, you know, they're funded by the state and stuff like that. So we can't you know, we can't be uh, involved in the sense of uh, making them an official uh, you know, partner, they, you know, they, the, the laws and, and tax, you know, that they have to stay away from us more than any, you know, uh, in anything. But they give these kids in our uh, county uh, care, medical care, psychological care. Uh, they get them out of the home, put them in foster care, all of these type of, of issues. And what I found, Casey, for me personally, is you, you can take care of the medical needs and you can take care of the psychological needs. And uh, you can take care of the, the, the you know, their, their uh, emotional well-being, so to speak, by putting a support system around them. But the, there's one thing advocacy centers uh, can't do, and that's what the church can do. And that is bring the love of Christ, which brings spiritual healing. And for me, if I didn't have a parent, a, a mom and a dad in my life that I knew loved me, and I didn't have a church in my life, I don't know that I could have made it back 
when I was 19 years old and come, I don't know, number one, that I could have come forward. And I don't know that as a 12 year old, I, I, I don't know where I would be right now. I didn't have that support system. So for, for me, it's, it's rallying the church to say, Hey, we can be salt and light in this area. And we can, we can help bring a spiritual component to the brokenness in our world that will ultimately lead to healing. Cause you can do the emotional, the physical, the medical, all those things, but it's the spiritual that has allowed this given me the freedom that I have. You know, I had, I had the other stuff, but it's, this, it's, it's Jesus that Matthew eleven twenty eight come to me, all you who are tired and have heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. It's, it's Jesus is the one that we can take into situations like this. So for, for us, Casey, we just want to raise the awareness. We don't want to stick our hands in the sand and we want to say, you know, we're a place where, uh, if you have been abused and you have been broken in this way, man, you can find healing and hope, uh, and you can find people who aren't going to judge you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to believe your story and we're going to walk with you. Yeah. I, I want to come back to something you said that I think is, is interesting. And I don't know that I agree with it, but I, I, I'm curious about this. Yeah. Uh, when you said, you know, we can't, we can't stop abuse. It's going to happen because of a broken world. When you look back at the situation with your coach, is there, is, do you see it in that way? Or do you see that there was something that there was a system that allowed that to happen? And so, cause a lot of the conversation about abuse either goes to, it's a sin problem, which, you know, mm-hmm. obviously it's a huge part of it, but there's also a system problem that yeah. there are structures that allow that to happen and either, put like you were in that spot of feeling like if I tell somebody this thing is going to come unglued, yeah. um, that's not so much a, a sin problem as it is a, like the system in which this abuse yeah. is received by other people. How do you, how do you look at that based on your experience, but also knowing that some of the things that have happened within churches and not yours, but yeah. other churches yeah. have been less about, have been somewhat about sin, but there's more about there's a system in place yeah, that allows true. this to continue. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, from a outside the church standpoint, I don't think that's an either or type question. I just think it's a both and, and, and you're going to deal with it inside the church. Certainly uh, there are, um, you know, we see it, uh, there are certain uh, checks and balances that are lacking that could be uh, certainly uh, better, um, uh, you know, could be made better. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's alone one or the other. I think it's a both and probably inside and outside the church, but certainly inside the church, uh, we need to be doing everything we can as leaders, as elders to implement, to make sure we're performing background checks. That's the simplest thing. Training volunteers on, uh, what to look for questions to ask. Uh, those are things that we need to get better at. Uh, as the church in general, and we need to be mm-hmm. aggressive uh, because, uh, again, I, I just think we're seeing um, more and more and more of this uh, due to um, our culture becoming increasingly more perverted through pornography, being introduced at more and more early ages. I mean, it's just it's 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 and it's just causing all sorts of havoc. And what you know, it's it is uh, uh, almost a chain reaction that happens, and if we we don't stop it. Uh, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's in our hands. So if it's, if it's, if man, if it's happening in our, in our churches, man, that's, that's the, that's the last place it needs to be happening. So whatever we've got to do, uh, we need to, you know, make sure we're looking at it and react with reality and our viewpoint and, and being aggressive, um, not putting our hand in this. I think that is, you know, looking back, 
through the year. I think that has been uh, a major uh, sin of the church is just pretending like it doesn't exist, sticking your head in the sand. Oh, no, that can never happen here and not being aggressive and making sure that we do whatever we can to make sure the checks and balances are in place that, you know, we we're providing a safe atmosphere, whatever way we can. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the wisdom of your experience, you've carried it into not only this conversation, but the writing of the book. And so as you, you know, hand this, there's this weird moment for writers where you you do this in a room, you know, you sit down yeah. at your computer and other people know what's happening and somebody's asked you to do it. And, but you know, at some point it's going to go into the hands of someone like people are going to read what you've written. Mm-hmm. It's going to be out there in perpetuity. You can't yank it back. It's not a tweet or a blog post that you can delete. It's, yeah. it's out there. So as you take, as you've poured yourself into this book and then now you've handed it out into the world. What is the gift that you hope the mountains are calling brings to the people who read it? What do you, what do you hope that they experience are challenged in? What's the gift you hope to give them with this? Well, first, thanks for making me more nervous about its release than uh, I already was. Um, No pressure, (laughs) but everybody's going to read it. You know, (laughs) that's right. right. Uh, Man, I, I think for me, uh, I felt there, there was no question there was a calling to write this book. I felt in my heart uh, when I, when the Lord first gave me these messages, and I talk about it, flying into the mountains of Colorado, and I'm speaking at a camp, and, uh, man, I was just going to do what every camp speaker does. Let's call a spade a spade, right? They bring old warm-up sermons, and they change the illustrations, and they preach what they preached before. No, and, don't tell they, the yeah, secrets. Yeah, that's exactly don't, what happens. Let me tell you. Don't tell the trade secrets. <laughs> and so, man, but the Spirit of God would, was wearing me out on that plane, man. And he was like, don't bring these old, warm, you know, warmed-over sermons, man. Bring something fresh. And I was like, man, I land here in like an hour, you know, bring something fresh. And so I started thinking about camp through my years and uh, it was always a mountaintop experience, man. And, and uh, matter of fact, I was just in the mountains of Colorado uh, a couple of weeks ago from the time we were recording this. And uh, I went by one of my old church camps that our church went by and it was in the mountains. And uh, man, I, I made my wife and family drive by there and take a picture. And they're like, dad, you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, uh, but I was, and man, this was a moment for me. I met God on this mountain. And so uh, as I started thinking about that, that's when the spirit of God just said, sure, why don't you look at the mountaintop moments in scripture and see what I did on mountains. And uh, man, it just, it just unfolded Casey before my, I mean, I just, I don't know why I'd never heard it. I'd never noticed it. Uh, I've been to I've been to Israel now a couple of times, and of course the the, the mountainous terrain there is is just uh, the landscape. But God did some amazing things on mountains, from Mount uh, uh, Sinai uh, to uh, to Mount Moriah to Mount Carmel. All these amazing moments, uh, whether it's calling Moses or uh, you know calling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac or. Uh, Elijah in the battle of the gods and then Jesus in the new Testament. I mean, his life, you look at his life. It's unbelievable. He, uh, starts out his ministry, uh, preaching his first and the longest recorded sermon we have in history. It's not, it's not in the temple at Jerusalem. It's not in a synagogue. It's on a, it's on a a side of a mountain in Galilee. He, He breaks away. Oftentimes in the scriptures, you see it. And the Bible says he'd go to the mountain and he would pray a desolate mountain and pray. Uh, you have him, his transfiguration, who he was on the inside 
being manifest on the outside for the very first time on a mountain. Uh, you have his crucifixion on a mountain. As I mentioned earlier, him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. He uh, gives the great commission from an unnamed mountain in Galilee. He ascends from the Mount of Olives. He promises to return to the Mount of Olives. I mean, mountains play a major role. And so I started seeing this, man, and it became a quest for me very quickly. And so I knew, I mean, it's like God said, man, this is because I've always wanted to write. I mean, since the fourth grade, I felt like, man, I'm going to write a book one day. I've always loved reading. And, uh, and, and so uh, it was like God said, this is going to be a message. So long answer to your question, man, what do I hope people get out of this? I, I, I don't want to be over simplistic and I don't want to be over spiritual uh, at all. But I do. I want them to love Jesus more when they my favorite writers are the writers that I read. And I go, man, I need to go get in God's word. I need to go read the Bible. You know, Tozer is that for me, A.W. Tozer. I mean, I read Tozer and he makes me love Jesus more. And so I am no A.W. Tozer. I promise you that. Uh, this is a very simplistic read. My, you know, I, I, when I started out writing this book, I didn't want to, I didn't want, my dad, who was a brick mason, Casey, gave me the best advice for preaching that I've ever been given. And he said, Jared, put it on a shelf where everybody can get it. And that was the best advice for preaching I've ever been given. Don't put it way up top where just the ivory tower theologues can get it. Don't put it way down low, you know, where it's just so elementary that it, you know, uh, uh, that it doesn't maybe engage the ivory tower theologue. Put it where everybody can get it. And so that was my goal in writing the book. I wanted, I wanted to read a book that my dad, a brick mason, you know, for 40 years would read and come back to how many books have we started and not finished, right? I mean, a lot. I've got a lot by my bedside that I've started and never finished. And so I just wanted it to be a, a simple read, um, but a read that when people got through, they, they were loving Jesus more than when they started it, and it made them want to get in the Bible and get a little bit closer to the Lord. That's my goal. And so I don't know. The gift of the book is just uh, it's, it's personal stories. I try to be personal in there. I try to be open and transparent, vulnerable, like we talked about earlier, sharing some things that have happened to me in my life, while at the same time just giving a truth from Scripture. And uh, maybe people recall their own mountaintop moments with the Lord and grow closer to it. Yeah, yeah. Man, thank you for taking time out of vacation to talk. This has been yeah, a good you conversation. Well, thanks, thank- for the, thanks for the vulnerability in your story, too. I, I do believe that's something people need to hear, that uh, if for nothing else to know that they aren't alone in that kind of thing. Absolutely. And Casey, thanks for having me. And uh, man, I appreciate what you're doing. And thanks for helping get uh, the message of the book out there. And for any of those listening, uh, you know, I just, I'm a pastor at heart. And so, you know, if there is anybody listening who wants to talk about that abuse situation or wants to open up, man, you can reach me at the church. My information's on there. And uh, I'd be more than happy to walk with anyone through that answer any questions. And uh, again, Casey, thanks for what you're doing and for having me on today. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. So you got to hear Jarrett's passion and, um, and his accent. Come on now. You know, I grew up in the South and so I miss my accent sometimes. So it was kind of nice to Kind of nice to listen to Jarrett and remember what that actually sounds like. So uh, I'm going to put some information about the book that is out, uh, also about where you can reach him. And I, I do believe he's, 
I do believe he's genuine. If you have had an issue with um, abuse and want to reach out to him and just uh, talk to someone who has had the same experience, I believe he'd be open to that. You know, obviously, uh, there's a lot of work to be done uh, in the way that the church deals with this. Um, Some of it's going to be... uh, we as a church are going to have to deal with our perspective towards gender, especially women, and uh, how how we have missed the mark in treating men and women equally. And some of that is is slight in the sense of it's caused friction, and some of it has caused destructive abuse as well. And so there are systems, and and I wanted to talk to Jared more about his church than anything else. But you know, worldwide. Uh, the big C church has got to have this conversation about how do we treat each other and how do we dismantle systems that allow for things like Jared experienced or things like some of you have experienced to happen. And how do we move, how do we get past the place of saying, well, it's not like he said, no, it's not, that'll never happen here. That's not really a problem. How do we admit to it and confess it and then begin to dismantle those systems that keep it in place? Um, it's a tough episode, uh, but a good one and a helpful one. And so thanks for listening. If you, if you haven't subscribed yet, um, I hope maybe the power of this conversation will say, Hey, you need to, you need to subscribe to this, uh, episodes coming out every week, hopefully, except for a couple weeks ago, that was a mess. Anyway, uh, if you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or if you want to stream it on the website, caseytigret.com, all that information is in the notes of the show here. So uh, until next time, guys, thanks for listening. Be well, live wisely. Peace.